Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with your host, executive editor of Newsbusters, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome from the land of Newsbusters. I hope maybe over the weekend you saw our Curtis Hauk on Fox News at night. Of course, it was still on at midnight Eastern. That changes today. Um, but he was there and was allowed to talk about crazy PBS saying that somehow the Statue of Liberty is entangled with whiteness. And he was allowed to talk about how what we found about the PBS NewsHour, how slanted it is against the Republicans and how it's net positive for the Democrats. I mean, anybody who watches the PBS NewsHour knows that's the way it is on a night-by-night basis. Uh, but today we wanted to discuss George Soros, the, the one of those vast right-wing conspiracy figures. And if we're going to do that, we got to go to Joseph Vasquez, the <laughs> MRC Associate Editor for Business and Free Speech America. Joey graduated summa cum laude with a BA in political science from the George Washington University, just like Brent Baker and Rich Noyce. We got the, the GW represented. GW is represented at the MRC. Joey is on Twitter at, at jv 3 MRC, because he is the third. <laughs> I'm, the, I'm the third of my family. I'm, I'm proud of that. <laughs> Although maybe it's, I don't know, in, in Puerto Rican, it's not the third. Definitely, probably not. <laughs> probably not. So the big news in Soros land was that uh, George Soros has basically decided his son would be the new leader of the $25 billion Open Society Foundations. And what you're saying is somehow Soros now and his foundations are going to be even more political. Explain that. Well, essentially what we're looking at with Alex Soros, his, you know, George Soros' newly crowned heir, is we're looking at someone who's more politically hostile towards the right and is more vocal about it than George was. What made George so politically savvy was that he operated mainly from the shadows. He would just spend his money, his ungodly fortune into a slew of left-wing causes in in the U.S. and across the globe, in media outlets and in political activism. And then, you know, he would just claim plausible deniability. Like, in other words, these groups can do whatever the heck they want with his money. And then he was like, well, you know, like they, you know, they want to do this with their money. Go ahead. But Alex Soros, on the other hand, he's not shy. He doesn't shy away from his political positions. Like George Soros, when he speaks, he tries to be very candid. It's actually very rare for the media to get an interview with him to begin with. Alex is out there. He'll say whatever the heck he wants. I mean, whether it be about abortion, climate change, politics, you name it. I mean, like he, like he, he, he tweets the most radical, insane things, you know, in other words, he's pretty much the mouthpiece for his father's agenda. That's who Alex is. And he's already established his bona fides going back to 2012, that he is a force to be reckoned with. And what astonished me about this whole thing is that no one expected that George was actually going to crown an heir to his Open Society Foundation. We thought he was too much of a of an egomaniac. For him yeah, I mean, to... what, what do you remember now? How old he is at this point? Eighty something. No, oh, he's in his nine. He's oh, in his nineties. There you go. He's in his nineties now. Well, you would think, yes, if you're going to crown an heir, you might have started before now. He's a exactly. I mean, you know what? What I want people to understand is that George Soros he admitted in his book, the uh, his magnum opus, the um, the alchemy of finance that he has an admitted God complex. Hmm. So what does that show you? It shows that, well, guess what? If you consider yourself to have a God God complex, the last thing you want to do is surrender any modicum of power. So when the fact that he was actually willing to do that vis-a-vis you know, his son Alex, the question that we have to ask ourselves is what kind of 
godlike Promethean standards did Alex need to meet mm. for George Soros to be comfortable with surrendering his enormous political power to his son? That's what's terrifying. We're essentially looking at Open Society Foundations on steroids with Alex at the helm. And the statements, the stuff that he's been putting out on Twitter, whether his blogs, his op-eds, just goes to show America is in for a wild ride. And he has youth on his side. He's only 37 years old. Americans are going to be fighting his agenda for decades to come. Yeah, and, and I mean, let's underline this again. As you note, the Open Society Foundations have operations in 120 countries. They got a war chest of $25 billion. I think it, Soros, for some of us, was on the radar in the 80s. But I yep. think for most people in politics, it really came a little bit more to the fore in the 90s and then especially in the George W. Bush years. Mm -hmm. um, we were kind of comparing Soros to Richard Scaife back in the Clinton years. Um, but yeah, he's just gotten more and more, you know, at the center of that right wing conspiracy. But I mean, the, just the idea that his vision here is for a so-called open society. A lot of times what he's doing really meshes with your other projects because it's a radical left agenda. Um, and it's the kind of now the kind of radical left agenda that wants to shut down a true debate. Well, actually, you just look at what's going on with these district attorneys like in, in multiple states, these soft on crime DAs that are letting uh, that are letting violent criminals like onto the streets. I mean, this is case in point. You know what Soros envisions, what he puts out is a, is open borders, um, free access to uh, access to abortion, climate change, radicalism, you name it. I mean, like, you know, his whole vision is 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 that of, you know, of a one world order. You know, so to speak. I mean, and it's not just me who's saying that. The Investors Business Editorial Board, during the whole issue with regards to Britain, uh, to to Britain leaving um, the European Union, George Soros was vehemently against that because he saw the European Union as kind of like closer in line with his view on open society. Right. So now this is he wanted the world to adopt the European Union model. So the Investors Business Daily Editorial Board came out with a op-ed, and so essentially what Soros is arguing for is, an, is a one-world is a, is a one world order. And that's exactly what he wants to see. And now that Alex is at the helm, you, you see him all over social media posting uh, Instagram photos with some of the world's most powerful leaders, whether it be President Biden, whether it be uh, Barack Obama, whether it be uh, different, uh, different ministers from different countries around the world. In other words, he's established himself as a political force. And now he has a $25 billion war chest to back up the insane things that he says on social media. I mean, for example, He's supported on social media the decriminalization of sex work. He's openly called the GOP, the GOP. The, you know, in other words, not just like you know the representatives, but the people that are within that framework, the Confederacy. Quote the Confederacy. That's how we can. That's how he sees the GOP. No, apparently that was about after that they repealed Roe versus Wade. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, excuse me, what's happening now? There's going to be a lot less black abortions. How is that the Confederacy? Oh well, I mean, in in Soros's world, that that makes you the Confederacy, and you know, he's also called the repeal of Roe v. Wade one of the worst days in American history. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, saving that life. That's the worst day in one of the worst days in American history. But that just goes to show where his where his you know, political stances are on things. Right. He's called the global distribu redistribution of wealth, you know, to solve climate change, quote, a compelling solution, you know, all these things. So now these are just ideas that he spouted, but now he's got money to back it up. And he's not, he's not wasting any time either. He just recently, um, 
I think he cut at least 40% or laid off at least 40% of Open Society Foundation staff and is restructuring the entire organization. Why? Because he wants because he wants to put his own image on this. And what is it? It's very American-centric. He's he's focused on, Amer on, on the American society. He's focused on American structure. And, you know, if you just... If you just want to look at just some of the groups that he's been involved with over the course of the years leading up to this decision that George did to crown him as the heir of this empire, he's also on his website, on the Open Society Foundation's website, he's known as the founding chair of Ben the Arc Jewish Action. And it's a group that is dedicated to painting the Republican Party and President Trump as representing the greatest threat to American Jews right now. Yeah, that's... <laughs> that's the arc. This is his organization that's pushing that. Yeah, yes. we're 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 sitting here in a week in which we have Ilhan Omar or Pramila Jayapal saying Israel's a racist state. You know these people who are hostile to the Jews in the Democrat Party, and he's trying to present somehow um, whatever you think of President Trump. He did establish the Abraham Accords. He, he was did. A, he was a obviously. Net, Net, Netanyahu and company think Trump was good for Israel, so it's a little hard to try to say he's putting Jews in danger. Well, you know what's funny? You mentioned Ilhan Omar and you know other representatives like Rashida Tlaib. Um, it's funny because when Israel had put a ban on, on on them from I think entering the country or something like that, there was this whole controversy. Right. Alex Soros rebuked Israel. Right for, for doing that, I'm like, are you kidding me? But meanwhile, you're going to look at the Republicans and Trump, like who've been, like who've been extremely pro-Israel. You're going to call them, you know, the, the anti-Semites. I mean, it's it, it's absolutely in, in, insane. But guess what? If you have money behind you, now that he's able to push this message as as far as he wants, you know, George Soros, at least from 2000, had spent around 21 billion dollars on politics. 21 billion dollars. Right. So now Alex Soros is not only doesn't only have the money, but he also has the voice to do it as well. The voice to put out his message. He's not going to rely on other people to do the speaking for him. He's going to speak himself. So what does that tell you? You know, um, you know, our boss, you know, Brent Bozelic, he was on Varney the other day. He said, like, well, Alex Soros is now more intent. In, he's intending to throw bombs instead. <laughs> he's not going to be strategic. He's not going to be canny in the way he does. It. He's just going to throw bombs. Yeah, I think that the, the the irony of all of this with Soros and with other big left-wing foundations like Ford is the idea that somehow money ruins politics is coming from the left. Well, it doesn't seem to come from the left when the yeah when the billionaires you know are taking their money and using it to promote socialism. That's apparently okay. Well, I mean, it works. Like when you when you have a you know Soros himself, like he he built an amazing protection system for himself by buying uh, by buying influence in so many media organizations around the around the world. Guess what? Anytime you bring up the name Soros, what is the what is the knee jerk reaction from the media? Oh, you're an anti semite for noticing that Soros is spending money on this stuff. That's so. If you create that kind of a that kind of a system. The hypocrisy doesn't matter. I mean, like, you know, they're you know they're getting their they're getting their money. Their influence is being um, is being biased by the money that they're tied to vis-a-vis -vis Soros. You know, so that's what's that's the that's the narrative here. And the fact that Alex Soros is now running this operation, George Soros is all but guaranteed that Americans are going to be fighting him well beyond the grave for at least the next fifty years. Now, I know you've done the deep dive on this. What was the, the what you found again in terms of how many media organizations Soros sort of has funded? I obviously always start with National Public Radio, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. which we always joked is like they were going to fund 
um, reporters in all 50 state capitals to do state news, which sounds really good. But it's like, again, when when Soros gives a pile of money to NPR and then NPR like really hates conservative media, really hates Fox News. So I'm always like, you know, <laughs> David Folkenflik is the George Soros fellow in attacking Fox News. I mean, it's there's always what they say they're funding. Yeah. And you can always question what else they're doing. But it, I, I want to say you had what over 100. It was 253, Tim, to be exact, that we found and not just in the U.S., but around the globe and some of the outlets that he's funded have global operations i mean you're talking to like outlets like project syndicate you have world leaders that write opinion columns for this publication and there's they're circulated to to hundreds hundreds of media outlets across across the world including the washington post they take what project syndicate um publishes and then they then they recirculate it i mean soros himself has written at least over a hundred columns for a project syndicate since it's founded. I think one of his first was in the 90s. It was called The Capitalist Threat. Nah. Yeah. And it's funny. The guy that made his billions is right. decreeing the very system that enriched himself. Enriched him. So, you know, and, and, just to see, and just to see that his son is really no different. You know, it's funny. And I think it was in 2007, 2008, he was known as like the, the playboy socialite. You know, the one who embarrasses his family by, you know, you know, by by partying with all these celebrities and whatever and just looking ridiculous. And now he's realized, you know what, I want to take my name seriously. So now he's been following his father's footsteps and now has proven himself to be the most capable Soros acolyte to tackle the vision. You know, Soros told The New York Times in 2019 that his goal was to bend the arc of history in the right direction. Well, now it looks like Alex is going to be doing the bending. And that's pretty astonishing. For someone who is as egocentric as George Soros is, for him to be convinced to cede power to another, even his son, that's an enormous, enormous key. Because what it does is that it shows that Alex needed to prove himself somehow. And that, just that thought alone should terrify the American people. How radical, how how off the rails did Alex need to show his father, show himself to his father? For his father to say, okay, I'm going to give you the keys to the empire here. Now go wreak havoc. Well, now I almost want to see him do an interview on CNBC or some some place where you can really, you know, dig into him because uh, he says some crazy stuff. I mean, he he said George W. Bush was a criminal deserving impeachment. Yep. Uh, and then it, uh, he saluted the 2020. I would call them riots. Some people yeah. call them protests um, in the summer 2020, saying he was urging them to rip structural racism out by its roots. Well, that that to me sounds like it could be a, an endorsement of violence is the the way it sounds to me. Well, you know, it's it's funny his his kind of like his charged language that he uses. I mean, he's definitely he definitely doesn't have a filter on himself and that's what separates him from his father. I mean, he's predicted the end of democracy and quote civil war should Trump get reelected in 2024. Well, if you are if you are hinging your political stance on the view that that Trump getting reelected could cause civil war, what are you going to do when you have billions of dollars to now back that narrative up in, in media ads that you buy or in the groups that you fund? Ben the Ark Jewish Action. I mean, Alex Soros owns his role as the founding chair of that organization that castigates Republicans and Trump as being the greatest threat to American Jews on on the Open Society Foundation's website, Alex Ross is also listed as the founding chair of that group. He doesn't shy away from it. So now, Ben the Ark Jewish Action now has this massive boost now from their founding chair being the head of the whole enchilada, you know, with billion dollars to boot. So, 
you're talking about media ads. You're talking about political campaigns. You're talking about candidates. You're talking about um, uh, district att district attorneys. I mean, it, you're you're looking at you're looking at one of the you're, literally you're looking at George Soros part uh, 2.0. This is George Soros 2.0, and George Soros 2.0 is a heck of a lot worse than 1.0. Well, and there, as you suggest, I think one of the one of the uh, and I'll just wrap the Soros portion of this up by saying, you know, this is. Um, when you're soft on crime, when you're for defunding the police, these are things that should make the Democrats and these DAs more unpopular. I mean, we obviously realize that it got so bad in San Francisco, they took out Chesa Boudin. Um, <laughs> but that's not like San Francisco suddenly an oasis of justice. But I, I think that, um, obviously, I think for anybody who's observing just the statistics on where we're going with crime in this country... Yeah. The quote-unquote open society is a more dangerous society. Yeah, look at look at Alvin Bragg. Look at look at Manhattan. I mean, Alvin Bragg, you know, is one of the more more high-profile DAs that have been connected to Soros. And you know, as I said before, is that Soros can give a million dollars to a group like Color of Change, this racially charged political group, that then you know around the same time pledges a million dollars to support. Uh, Alvin Bragg's campaign, and but then George Soros just claims plausible deniability and said, "Well, I had no communications with them. I just can't. I'm like, did you forget mm -hmm. what the Citizens United case determined? Money is speech, mm -hmm. exactly. But George Soros doesn't want you to believe that. But now Alex is is giving pretty much is is giving people the voice. Uh, is pretty much speaking on behalf of his uh, of his father. There's some differences. He's noted that like you know before, but as far as Open Society's vision goes. Alex Soros now is the de facto spokesperson for that. George Soros was very careful in the way that he would speak, and you know what? It's it, it proved to be um, to be um, worthwhile for him to operate like that. He would just give his money out, and you know, and just by influence like that, operating completely from the shadows. It allowed him to be able to shield himself from public uh, from public uh, criticism. It allowed him to be able to extend influence, and people didn't really know about it, including like his connections to the media and, and so on and so forth. Alex is not like that. Alex is very much wanting to show the world, hey, I am the next big uh, big player on this uh, on the political block. You know, my 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 father has been known as the quote connoisseur of chaos, and now I'm going to be his ambassador of chaos. You know that that's that's what Alex Soros is. I think it's it's interesting in a sense that when you say you know George Soros was like you know you somebody can interview me at Davos or yeah. or some investor conference. He he wasn't exactly you know going on uh, with Gail King or something. Or he wasn't doing was, yeah wasn't doing the major interviews. That it sort of made it easier for them to say, oh the right wingers are imagining this force behind the scenes. Well, yeah, because he stayed behind the scenes and let the money talk. Uh, the uh, Also, since you are the uh, associate editor for Free Speech America, you were noting that uh, you've been following this very interesting ruling in Missouri versus Biden uh, about this whole relationship between the federal government, um, you know, basically trying to tell the social media companies who to censor. <laughs> What's the latest? Well, the latest is that, you know, following um, the U.S. Chief District Judge Terry Dowdy's decision to pretty much put a stop to government colluding with big tech to censor people, the Fifth Circuit comes out with a temporary stay on that order and is pretty much allowing collusion to continue, at least for the time being, which I think is just absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, administrative or not, the point is that Americans' First Amendment rights are at stake. I mean, essentially... 
the Department of Justice prove, you know, had to prove that, hey, by you keeping this order in place, that is more harmful than if you were to leave it in place, uh, uh, to leave the order in place. And I'm like, oh, really? So the, de the Department of Justice or any kind of government entity, you know, uh, not being able to collude with big tech companies to censor speech, their inability to do that is more harmful than Americans not having a guaranteed right to speak freely without government intervention. I mean, it was just, it's just bonkers to me. I'm hopeful that the Fifth Circuit would eventually, will eventually do the right thing, but it's just, it's just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, Dowdy's decision, I would encourage everyone to read that decision because he directly references George Orwell's 1984. He said, this is, this is dystopian, like he, he's saying, and, it's, and he's absolutely 100% right. What you pretty much have created was a mini ministry of truth. A ministry of truth taken directly out of the pages of George Orwell. Orwell would be turning over in his grave if he were to see how much this back-channel communication that was happening between federal entities and these big tech companies. I mean, it's just, it, and it, the funny thing is, is that the federal government would then turn around and then tell you, try to tell you that this isn't censorship. This isn't censorship. Nina Jankowicz, I think, was just on uh, MSNBC, that former head of the, of the so-called Disinformation Governance Board, mm -hmm. trying to tell viewers that flagging content by the government, right, is not censorship. I'm like, are you kidding me? This is doublespeak. I mean, like you literally headed up the one of the biggest censorship apparatuses in the federal government, and you have the audacity to look the American people in the face and tell it that the federal government picking and choosing what constitutionally protected speech is dangerous, yeah, and and flagging it to social media companies that that is not censor that's not censorship in any way. It's insanity. So this Missouri v. Biden case and its sites actually. Uh, research that we did at FSA of sensor track data, um, you know, we're we're proud to be a part to be a part of that narrative, showcasing how extensive the the censorship is. You know, it's the it's the biggest free speech case of of our time right now. And because whatever comes out of this case is going to determine whether or not Americans will have the ability to speak freely online without worrying that the government is going to be sticking its sticking its nose inside their their social media accounts and then and then and then censoring them or flagging them or putting them on some kind of a ridiculous blacklist somewhere. That should not happen in this country. We either have a First Amendment, a guaranteed First Amendment right, the constitutionally protected protected free speech, or we don't. The federal government does not have the ability, shouldn't have the ability at all to be able to infringe upon that right. The fact that they're doing that should scare the living heck out of every American. And I think that the uh, all we need to do to underscore this point, because obviously the, re the, the counterpoint to this is always to say, well, Twitter's a private company. Facebook's a private company. Um, uh, now, if we turn that around and President Trump was telling Facebook or Twitter who to censor, and and the hard part of this example is that imagining that these Silicon Valley f firms would actually listen to Trump. But let's just imagine for imagination's purposes, do, do we really think that if Trump said anybody who criticizes my son should be suppressed? <laughs> you know, like Hunter Biden was suppressed. The critics of journalism, Hunter Biden was suppressed. Can you imagine Trump said, no, you have to suppress these stories against my kids? Not, that that they would say it's not censorship. I the, mean, the left will go apoplectic. Yeah, I mean, they spent the entire Trump presidency saying that he was hostile to democratic norms, and it's like, no, this is part of the discussion, and yeah. that is in in this age where we do a lot of our discussions of politics on social media. Exactly, you're upsetting democratic norms by having the Biden people come in, and it's not just they try to. Jonathan Capehart tried to pretend this was about oh, the gosh. pandemic. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, we've now found that a lot of the stuff they tried to shut down about the pandemic wasn't true. Like, exactly. you can't say masks are ineffective. You can't say the virus originated from a lab in Wuhan. You yeah, know? <laughs> and now they're like, oops. And that is that is part of the problem is that you they really should allow you to say things. You know, if the government said the Washington Post is not allowed to investigate how the, the lab leak happened, everybody would see it as censorship. But when it's everyday Americans or just conservative, large conservative Twitter accounts or the New York Post somehow, oh, no, 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 that's misinformation. We can shut that down. Free speech for thee, not for me. Freedom of the press for the enough, <laughs> you know, for, uh, for the enough for me. It's, and, it's, and you can understand they're feeling like, well, it's mis this or that is misinformation. And of course, with COVID, they could always say, you're, you're going to end up killing people. That was always their, their thing. But it wasn't going to kill anybody to say, oh, by the way, here's some more photos of Hunter, you know, um, hanging out with hookers and doing crack. You know, that was just somehow disinformation. Uh, I mean, it's it's just you, you, it, these 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 hall monitors of the internet, as I as I call them, like you know, like outfits like NewsGuard and uh, you know, in in the federal government, you know, the disinformation Gover uh, governance board, you know, creating pretty much creating these truth apparatuses that get to tell people, oh, what's reliable information or not. I mean, let's not forget that you know Stephen Brill over at NewsGuard was the one trying to make the Hunter Biden laptop story out to be Russian disinformation. Before you know, before we found out, hey, guess what? The contents were true, you know, so to speak. So I mean, you've already have a dem demonstrated record of being wrong on things, but then you still want to suppress people for disagreeing with you. And the moment that we, if we normalize that apparatus, if we normalize that trend, what are we going to end up in 10 years? Where are we going to end up in 15 years? You know, when, when our, when our kids are coming up, you know, through school and things like that, what is free speech going to look like? What does it mean? Is it does it mean, oh, you can only have the correct speech? Well, what is the correct speech? Who gives you the right to define what correct speech is? What gives you the right to define what truth is? Because it, it, are we not going to have a debate on that or what or, or whatever? Because what it what what I what I what I've always believed what I've always believed is that if you believe that if your position is the strongest and the most accurate, then it should be able to be held up to the light of public scrutiny. We've been saying that. Brent Bozell used to say this in our old like videos for our donors and he would say all we're really asking for is conservatives to get a platform to be able to to shoot back at the other side is like if we had a fair debate where conservatives got a space and liberals got a space we're confident the conservatives case would win and obviously they're not <laughs> right because they've exactly. got to squash it and censor it and say it's misinformation it seems like they define misinformation as anything that stops bending the arc of history Exactly right. Toward justice. Exactly right. So, I mean, this is why we have created this entire project, Free Speech America. We got out ahead of this, you know. Brent Bozell had the vision to say, "Let's. This is going to be the new frontier. Yep. For where we where we fight about being able to speak in America, and so um, this is going to be really important. After yes, you could argue the 2020 election was that suppression of all the Biden information made that election an unfair election. Doesn't mean necessarily Trump would have won on a landslide, but you gotta acknowledge, you know, they suppressed information. We don't wanna see that again happening in 2024. That's why we're doing what we do. Exactly, and you can guarantee that they're gonna do everything in their power to try to do that again. I mean, and now with the explosion of artificial intelligence being used, I mean, you can guarantee they're gonna to try to up the ante on their censorship apparatus. I mean, and that's why, we need to fight back. We need to continue to expose all of this. In the fact that this Missouri v. Biden case is going forward right now, 
Americans need to be following that case. They need to be they they need to be aware that this that this one case, this one case alone could define free speech for the foreseeable future. That's why we need to we, we, we need to continue exposing just how incestuous this relationship is between these big tech platforms and these federal entities. I mean, the government should be nowhere near American speech. I mean, what's you know, it's funny because you hear the com the common leftist excuse. Oh, but these are private companies. Well, if they're colluding with big with, with government, it's no longer a private company operating. It just purely as a, as a matter of its own private policy. It's colluding with a federal entity, which is barred by the Constitution from infringing upon Americans right to free speech. But but they gaslight you. It's it's absolutely astonishing. Like, like, are we living in bizarre world or what? I mean, we're literally living out the script of 1984, and you're telling us, oh, just to ignore the obvious. Now, my question is, let's remind everybody, uh, what was the number we found in terms of the political donations of employees of I don't know, was Facebook, Twitter, was it Google? That it was in the 90s for yeah, the Democrats? Facebook, Facebook and Twitter was like was, was somewhere around 90% or above or something like that. So this is the point in this exercise, once again, is that when you say, well, these private companies are just accepting advice from government <laughs> experts. No, what you're seeing there is it's a circle of lefties all you know surrounding the wagons around the Democrats. Um, so it is, it is one of those things where... All we're asking for as conservatives is a fair shot, a free shot. Give us a shot. Um, that's why we do it here with the Free Speech America. It's what we do here at Newsbusters to try to bring you an opposing view. Try not to be demoralized. We're sitting here talking about how, you know, we're on the precipice of something. Well, that's why you need to come and make sure you read what we're putting out. Joey's got big reports here on Soros. You know, it's a big, thick packet of information. <laughs> So make sure you, if you've got the time, dig into it um, and come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening. <laughs>